electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, welcome to the Halftime Report. Thanks, Carl. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour of the state of stocks, the state of your money. As stocks hit record highs yet again, the Fed begins its most pivotal meeting in years, perhaps. Will these next two days end or extend the rally? We'll debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown. Let's go to the wall, show you the markets. Carl just hit it. Took the words out of my mouth. Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, new highs. NASDAQ 100, new high. First all-time high for the Russell since March 15th. First all-time high for the Dow Transport since May 10th. As I said, the two-day Fed meeting beginning, 153 is the yield on the 10-year. We're going to get to everything that is at stake. First, though, I'm going to Mr. All-In, Jim Labenthal, because he's not as all-in, I guess, because he's trimming some stocks and some notable ones in his book today, including Microsoft (laughs) and Alphabet and Tractor Supply. And you're adding to some names, too. But let's talk about why you're trimming those, Jim. Sure. I have to lead, though, with saying there is no change in my net invested position, Scott. I'm still all in. This is portfolio management and risk management. Uh, Trimming Google, Microsoft, Tractor Supply. Let's start with Google. The the position has risen to a 9% holding in many accounts. That's just simply too large. You know, the weighting in the S&P 500 is around 4%. I'm trimming it down to 5.5%. So what you can take from that. It's still a huge position in my portfolios. I'm still bullish on Google. This is risk management. Uh, I'm taking the money and I'm putting it in names that last week reported earnings and where the market response, in my opinion, was far more negative than the results uh, merited. In fact, it was all on the guidance. So I'm adding to Alaska Airlines, General Motors, Northrop Grumman, because expectations have been reset in these names. It's all about the guidance. Expectations have been reset. That leaves room for them to outperform. Now, I will say one more thing. I don't want to hog the air here, but Microsoft. Microsoft I trimmed as well, and now it is below uh, average size in my portfolio, and it's below the market weight. When I look at the forward multiple, the next 12 months multiple on Microsoft, I see it at 34 times. If I compare that to Google, which, as I've already said, is above market weight at 25 times, I say to myself, Microsoft is fabulous, but it doesn't deserve nine extra turns on the multiple versus Google. And so I'm trimming Microsoft below market weight. I simply think it's too expensive. I still own the stock, so I'm not negative on it. And let me close by saying this, Scott. I'm still all in. I think the next three months are going to be fabulous. I'm going to ride it to the hilt. But you, you're trimming some winners and you're yes. adding to some laggards. That, that's the bottom line. And I think it tees up a pretty good debate of which Steve Leisman's Fed survey hits on as well. You've got Stephanie Link, a majority of respondents in our survey say stocks are overvalued where they, they are now. Now, I want you to put that versus seasonality, which everybody says is your friend, and history would obviously say that too. 
along with momentum and the fact that you have low rates. So can you debate those two points? Are stocks overvalued or do we just hang with the other trends that are more of your friend and will likely take stocks higher? I think there are some stocks that are overvalued in the market, but we have we're in right in the middle of earnings season and 80 percent are beating. And for the most part, estimates are actually going higher. So stocks aren't as expensive at first blush. And what we're learning about earnings is demand is robust. It's the supply chain that's giving these companies a headache. And we also know inflation is real. We have core inflation at 7.3% year over year. That's a big, big number, right? So we, I've talked about there are going to be haves and have-nots in the market. And it's those that have pricing power that are faring much, much better, right? So I think I've been very surprised at how strong the demand has been and also how resilient margins have been. So, uh, yeah, there are pockets in the, in the market that are expensive. I do not think reopen names are expensive. I do not think cyclicals are expensive. I do not think financials are expensive in particular, as well as industrials. So those are the areas where I would, uh, that I actually am overweight. I would be adding to them on any pullbacks. And I agree with Jim. And we've been saying this for a long time. Seasonally, this is the time that you want to be long going into the end of the year. And I would embrace taper. Absolutely embrace it because the economy can handle it and we do not need emergency policy. I mean, Josh, Jim just declared Microsoft, you know, expensive. He basically said it was overvalued. Yes, he still has a sizable position in it. But is it time for everybody to take a look at their portfolios and look at gains as much as they love stocks like Microsoft and Alphabet, like you do, and think that they can continue to go higher, but say, maybe the gains have been too much. Maybe these stocks are now too rich, and maybe I need to take some profits off the table. I wish there were some evidence that shorter intermediate term stock prices were driven by starting valuation, but there isn't. So I'm not sure that that will help you. Some of the biggest winners of this year were also stocks in the top decile of valuation within the S&P 500. So um, I know when you're working with investors, one of the things you're supposed to say is we're doing prudent things and this stock is now over my price target or overvalued. So I'm going to take some off. That's my discipline, blah, blah, blah. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just wouldn't also then say, oh, that's going to work or that's going to help you outperform because the reality says otherwise. Here's what I want to say today. Small caps joining the party is significant. All of the people who came on here telling us that breadth was bad and that's why the large caps making a new high is a head fake um, and, and the small caps are the canary in the coal mine. Well, what are you going to tell me now? Hopefully you're golfing and I don't have to have that conversation with you because it's uncomfortable. But you've got a Russell 2000 all-time high joining the NDX, joining the SPX, You have an RSP all-time high. For those who are unaware, that's the equal weight uh, version of the stock market. Bond yields coming back down. New record high in semis, which I told you are the most important cyclical group under the sun. Transport's breaking out, too, in case you still regard those as being significant. I somewhat do. Um, And then you have some of the high multiple stocks doing fine. Like, it doesn't have to be an either-or. We talk about Snowflake all the time. What a run. I've almost never seen a stock do this. Uh, Spotify is running. Uh, And then you've got like this whole thing going on with banks that almost nobody was predicting a year ago 
when they were doing their 2021 outlooks. But they look great. Goldman Sachs, which I missed. I'm not that smart, I guess. That's a massive breakout. It's legit. The regional banks are at all-time highs. I missed that trade, too. There's a lot to like in this market. And the things not to like, Judge, they're so few and far between that we actually know them by name. Like, it's hard to find industry groups that are getting trashed right now. Um, so having the small caps up here in the leaderboard, it's like the icing on the cake. You're coming into November. People feel good. The taper will be greeted with relief. I've been saying that since June. Uh, and I think we could roll higher into year-end, barring some sort of catastrophic virus headline. So that's, that's how I feel right now. So let me – Jason Snipe, I'm going to come to you in just a second, but I want to get back to, to Jim. Um, not to argue with you necessarily, but why is today the day – that you realized that Microsoft and Alphabet had become too large for your portfolio, because if they were too large for your portfolio today, they were too large for it last week, too. And I'm wondering if this has anything to do with an overall view. By the way, we have a Fed meeting that begins today, and they're probably going to announce a taper tomorrow. And they may pull forward their rate expectation, uh, rate hike expectations, too. And that may cause rates to rise in the near term. And that may not be good for big technology stocks like Microsoft and Alphabet, Jim. So I feel like there's more to the story here. Oh, Scott, I I so want to take the bait and go where you're leading me. Forgive me. That's not where my head is. Let me answer your first question. Why today? The answer is because of what happened last week to those stocks to which I'm adding. So the motive force here is I want to add to those stocks. I didn't do it last week because you need to have a few days for the air to clear, the dust to settle when the market decides to take stocks like Northrop Grumman to the woodshed. you got to give it a few days. Now, today is the day I want to add to them. That's the starting point. And I've got to say, where do I go to get my funds? Because you know I'm all in. Uh, okay. And look, Google and Microsoft have been fabulous. Just before you jump in, you know, Google is up almost 80% on one year. Microsoft up 67%. I mean, they're just hanging there as Apple's being uh, ready to pluck from the tree. By the way, I said Apple. I said Apple. Let me do this for a second. Because where we are and what I'm doing is a stock picker's universe, okay? I'm not trimming Apple. And it's 4% from its all-time high. I think it's going to clear that and go to 175 by the end of the year. Why do I say that? Yes, it's multiple. I heard what Josh said. We disagree about whether valuation matters. We've disagreed for eight years on that. We're going to disagree for the next eight years. All right. Apple, with the cash flows that it's got, with its multiple, I will ride that overweight until it's above 175 and take it off. Now, let me just answer your second question about taper. I got to be honest. It doesn't matter to me. The Fed is still going to be buying bonds. It's still going to be putting cash into the system for the next six to eight months. And for at least the next three months, it's going to be buying bonds in size. So you got to be long the market here. Um, maybe not long the hyper growth stocks, but these growth at a reasonable price technology and cyclicals. I love the cyclicals right now. I love the reopening trade. All right. So no more, no less. Right. You needed an ATM to get some money. And these were the stocks that provided you the best opportunity to do it, um, I guess, at the lowest fees um, because you yes, didn't have any Honor. cash on hand because you're yes, your Honor. You're Mr. All in. I get it. And I'm glad you explained it further for myself and our viewers. All right, Jason Snipe, you've heard the commentary from your fellow uh, committee members. How do you see things? Yeah, so <clears throat> I agree big time with what mostly everyone said is particularly, you know, in the small cast. I think small cast Russell 2000 hitting at all time highs is a great indicator of where we see the market going forward. And I'll, I'll admit 
you know, seeing the NASDAQ up almost 7% last month, you know, the S&P up close to 6%. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's a shoot, even, even though I think about seasonality and this is a great time, you know, from a market perspective. I don't know if it's a shot up, you know, in, in performance over the next couple of weeks. I think it will marginally grind higher, but I'm still constructive. I'm still bullish on the market. I think there's opportunities here. I think there's continues to be fair value. And if I look at earnings, you know, 80 percent of companies have beat, you know, and, and I think margins are great, as Steph alluded to earlier you know, margins are up almost 12 percent, you know, this quarter. I mean, historically are around 8 percent. So companies have fared well in this environment. So it's hard to be a bear, you know, when we see what's going on. There are a lot of things running today. How you like that Live Nation, Josh? New high today, 105.77, 52-week high. It's 20 cents off that. Uh, but that's been a big, a big winner, up 34 percent over the last three months. You know what I did on uh, Friday night, Judge? Mm. I, I, I sat in torrential downpour in my car, driving circles around City Field, while my teenage daughter and her friends were inside, along with 80,000 fans who, who attend Rolling Loud New York City. 80,000. And it's a three-night festival. That's what's going on right now. And I think when you look at the attendance not just of Rolling Loud all over the country, but all of the different Live Nation events that are taking place. When you look at the attendance, that is a repudiation of the idea that things will never be the same again. Actually, things won't ever be the same again. If anything, people are even more ferociously locking in tickets to live sporting events, concerts, etc. This is the only publicly traded way to really grab that. They only have one competitor, and it's a German company. Live Nation is live music. And this was uh, the most singular, obvious, pure play on that idea. I'm sticking with it. I think it works its way higher. I think, uh, I, I think this is a very unique asset in the market. Uh, there's almost nothing else like it when you combine the ticket masterpiece, the venues, the shows themselves, and all of the other stuff you can do around that, like advertising, NFTs, etc. So I'm, I'm going to stay long. All right. Linkster. Uh, McDonald's looking at it right now, 252.22. That's the uh, high of the day and the 52-week high, a new high for McDonald's shares, even though they've dipped negative now, but nonetheless, a nice winner too. Yeah, they're benefiting from their strategy changes of digital drive-through and delivery. And the quarter was really very good. Um, they, they beat across the board on revenues, on margins. Two-year comps were up 15%. They're taking market share. And we talk about pricing power. They raised prices 6%, right? But traffic on a two-year basis is better than expected. So, And the ticket size is higher. So they're really uh, humming, and I, I still really like this name. It, it, it acts like a staple stock, and I, I like that. I need that in my portfolio to kind of offset some of the cyclicals and reopens, which have more juice to them. Snipe, I'm pulling up uh, Costco as we speak. Uh, 499.35 was a new high today. Again, it's dipped a little bit off of that, but nonetheless, another big winner. Yeah, absolutely. Costco has been a great story. You know, and again, as I alluded to earlier about supply chains and wage growth, you know, Costco has done a great job managing expenses. You know, they've, they've handled and taken care of their employees and increasing salaries, you know, but they've been a great winner and they've, they've managed the supply chains well. So we're going to stick with it. It's been a good one for us. Thermo Fisher, Farmer Jim, looking at that right now as we uh, wrap up our look at some uh, new, high, new highs today. TMO, 643.36. It's a new high for that stock. It's had a nice run as well. 
I am so guilty of not talking about this stock enough. I mean, the thing is a war horse. It is like, you know, it's like a picture out of medieval times of a draft horse with armor on and a knight with a lance marching up a hill to do battle. This thing just cranks. Um, look, it, it does all sorts of diagnostic testing, laboratory supplies. It's not just COVID that's propelling this. It's the aging demographics globally that is propelling this. And by the way, fantastic management team that continues to find these little tuck-in acquisitions that propel the earnings immediately higher. I, I frankly can't say enough good things about it. There's reasons that keep markets higher. Times earnings. Yeah. Okay. Like Microsoft at 34 times, which I own. So I'm not sure what your point is, you're, other than to be argumentative. No, no, no. Which I'm saying you're your you're shit. okay. So you <laughs> so you're okay with a high valuation stock as long as it's growing earnings, which is my premise. Stocks that are growing earnings faster than the market should trade at a higher valuation. So you don't seem to have a problem with valuation with TMO, and I don't either. By the way, the stock looks amazing, but I think you and I agree actually. On, on this concept more than you think we do. I, I, think, I think that's probably right. Let me, let me concede that point that we maybe do agree more than, than uh, we, we concede. There's something in the way you and I interact that usually has a friction to it, Josh, uh, for which I feel bad. But however, I will point out, just going back to the top, I still own Microsoft at 34 times forward earnings. I still own uh, Apple, excuse me, Google at 26 times forward earnings. And at the same time, I own GM, and here's another point of agreement, you own it too, at eight times forward earnings. It has a lot to do with the growth rate, but I think where you and I disagree, and I think this is important, is I think you believe more than I do that the market gets price right. I strongly believe there are times where the market gets price wrong. That's why I'm adding to GM today. And last week, judge to you, I said the market is getting GM wrong. I said it loudly. I said it repeatedly. There are times where I feel the market gets price wrong, and I just won't follow what the market is doing. Look, we can continue this over, you know, a nice lunch and shake hands and everything. But, Josh, you want to wrap that up with the last word? I agree with everything he just said. And, and I think he's going to make money with all three of those high multiple stocks. What about GM? <laughs> Josh is in GM. I'm in there with you. I know. I'm in no, there. I'm, I'm in there. I'm in there. All right. Our headliner today describes himself as cautiously bullish. Kevin Simpson is a five-star fund manager, the founder of Capital Wealth Planning, also at CIO. Welcome. Welcome to our program. Thanks for having me, Scott. Give, me, give, give me more details. Cautiously bullish. What does that mean? Well, if you think about your show a month ago, you had so many strategists on calling for pullbacks where they were 5, 10, 15, 20 percent. And we got it. You know, we got a brief pullback of 5 percent. And now we sit here at the, the precipice of the tapering and and. All, all of us collectively are optimistic heading into year end. And it's kind of a head scratcher because nothing's changed from the headwind standpoint. Like everything we were worried about in September, whether it was the supply chain, China, inflation, interest rates, Delta variant, um, even the debt ceiling, which we'll get a, a, a repeat test of um, in December. You know, none of those things have gone away. But the earnings season has been just so strong. It's just blown it out of the water that we switch from this pessimistic view to an optimistic view moving forward. And it's, uh, it's a head-scratcher for sure. Well, I mean, look, one, one big thing you could say has, if not fully gone away, it seems to be tempered somewhat, and that's the prospect of higher taxes. That, that was on a lot of people's minds with a much larger package from the Biden administration than it looks like he's going to get. 
Yeah, I mean, from a corporate tax standpoint, that does wonders to the market. And thinking about the surprises that were and, and are still coming from the third quarter for corporate earnings is terrific. It's powerful. But I'm looking at the fourth quarter. I'm kind of thinking about the consumer just fueling it even higher. You know, there's so much money here. We're, we're flush with cash as, as um, all, all of us head into the holiday season. And we're going to spend up for goods. And, and that also bodes well for the markets. You know, so much of it rides on the shoulders of the consumer. So if you pair that, like you said, with a, a really, really positive uh, view from a corporate tax standpoint, I mean, that, that pushes the, the runway for stocks to go higher, you know, well into 2022 and probably beyond. You have an interesting strategy. I mean, you manage the Amplify CWP Enhanced Dividend Income ETF, better known as the Devo, which I do note holds more cash today than you normally do. Does that reflect your level of caution currently? Uh, no, Scott, and that's quite a mouthful. So Devo is uh, a great acronym for sure. Our, our sweet spot for cash in our portfolio is between three to five percent. And it's funny that, you know, you look at the allocations to cash that we have now, which is hovering around 10 percent, maybe 11. It seems like for the past two years almost, we've been able to uh, get that down to five percent and then quickly we're, we're back at 10 percent. It has nothing to do with being pessimistic or bearish. We implement a tactical covered call component to the strategy. So occasionally we're going to see stocks getting called away along the ride. And it's just ironic that literally every time we get back down to five percent cash, something moves up a little bit and we see a stock get called away. So our performance is risk adjusted returns is kind of the primary focus. And having a little bit of cash isn't the worst thing in the world. We look at it as a holding. But uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a strange animal when you're a covered call manager that uh, sometimes stocks get called along the way. Well, what are the what are the prospects of higher rates mean to your dividend growing strategy? Yeah, you know, you never want to see high interest rates when you're investing in markets. But I think dividend growth is really the place to be when you're in a rising interest rate environment. Now, having said that, I've only been doing this for 29 years. Next year, will be 30. So it's been really easy to manage money. For 32 years, we've been in a decreasing interest rate environment. So pretty much anything you were looking at on the fixed income side did really well. As we move forward, and we're going to get the news tomorrow on taper, and we, you know, we've talked a lot about the interest rates beginning to increase next year, which they will. In a rising interest rate environment, some people will argue that there's pressure on growth stocks. I'm not really in that camp. I think people will always pay up for growth. But you also get an additional pressure on deep value names because of the interest rate risk. So I think just very uniquely that sweet spot of dividend growth, again, for the conservative investor uh, looking for, for risk-adjusted returns and some cash flow, I think we're very well positioned within that dividend growth space moving forward. Let me get some of my committee members involved. Josh, you have a question for Kevin? Hey, Kevin, it's nice to see you. I agree with what a, a lot of what you had to say. I want to talk about sentiment around the taper because I, I, I have a very strong view on this and I've held that view for, for a while now. I sort of feel like the market is starting to agree with me, but I'm not sure. I believe that the 20% of Americans who own 80% of the stock market are largely not enjoying themselves in this inflationary environment in which we find ourselves. They are small business owners, professionals, people who are having trouble uh, doing the things they want to do, hire the people they want to hire because of the environment. And so my view has been, once the taper begins, not that it's going to materially change anything on the ground in terms of the prices in our economy, but I do think it will be a relief 
and people will be glad to see that we're going to slow down the trillions of dollars that we're blowing into this economy each month, uh, uh, each year at the rate that we're at. What do you think about that premise? Do you, do you think there's anything there? Yeah, I mean, I agree 100 percent. I mean, both you and I have similar sized companies with similar size employees, and it's not always easy to find staffing. Now, if you think about it and take it one step further, this economy can handle a taper. It could have handled it a long time ago. But from the standpoint of the Fed being incredibly patient and really telegraphing what they do, and I think to their credit, because think about it, we're coming off of a a global pandemic that none of us expected. It's a lot different than 2008 and 2009 coming off of something that was sort of uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy of of bad decisions. So this Fed is going to be patient. But the markets can handle it and they can support it. And your clients, who are those business owners, I think, to your point, are going to find that the economy will be in a better place from a hiring standpoint. We can handle inflation at 2 or 3 percent. We can handle interest rates at 2 or 3 percent. What we don't want to see is inflation running too hot for too long. And I think that the Fed was right, that it is transitory, it is temporary. Scott, you had the best line of the day yesterday when you said, you know, they're talking about transitory being the fall. They just meant next fall. I mean, I loved it. And you're right. It's just a question of how long is transitory. But if we get that pullback in in inflation next year and and we are hovering at three percent, which is still more than the Fed's two percent preferred level, companies can do really well, even small businesses, because we're not going to be pricing interest rates too high that we can't afford financing. So you can't put the higher wages back in the bottle. You can't put higher rent back in the bottle. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. But stocks can do really, really well, and this economy can thrive if we have modest inflation and modest interest rate growth. So I I agree totally, Josh. You have um, obviously blue chip names in in this ETF from from top to bottom, whether it's Microsoft or United Health, Apple, McDonald's, Home Depot, Goldman Sachs, Honeywell, Visa, J.P. Morgan, and on and on and on. How how often is there turnover within within those holdings? Sometimes there's more turnover than you would like because of the covered call component. Uh, And that can work in our favor if stocks roll over. It can be somewhat frustrating if they continue to run higher. But the idea of using covered calls from our perspective is really a technique to harvest volatility. We're trying to reduce a little bit of the downside, smooth out the ride a little bit. And the byproduct of it is we do generate a little bit of cash flow. But just this year alone, we've had Caterpillar called, we've had Nike called, we've had Apple called. Um, it, it's not a situation where in every instance it's, it's perfect. When we had Caterpillar called, it continued to run and uh, sort of the same thing with, with Nike to a lesser extent. But the neat thing about active management and these types of portfolios is you can always go back into a name. And sometimes you can get back into them at much lower prices. And in those instances, we really brag about it. Uh, sometimes you pay a little bit more, which is fine. We're just not as vocal. But the idea of turnover with covered calls is something that's real. Uh, ETFs are a great way to access them. They're terrific and qualified accounts or nonprofits. But surprisingly, right now, we're seeing about half of our assets. They come through financial advisors that we work with around the country. About half of our accounts are non-qualified, Scott. And the reason being is there's just such a demand for cash flow, some this quest for income and yield. And, and uniquely, a, a combination of covered calls and dividends can really help satisfy that niche, uh, especially when interest rates are at zero percent. Good to welcome a new uh fund manager to our show. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Scott. All right. That's Kevin Simpson joining us today. Capital Wealth Planning, the founder and the CIO. Up next, the trades on some of the day's biggest analyst calls. We're back in just two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Opening statements are underway in the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. He is accused of shooting three people, killing two of them during a racial injustice protest in Wisconsin last year. Jury selection took just one day, despite many potential jurors saying they had already made up their minds about the case. On the news, what we know about that jury and also the strategies that both legal teams are likely to use. That's tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Justice Department is suing to block a major acquisition in the publishing industry, Penguin Random House's bid for rival publisher Simon & Schuster. The suit argues the combined company would have outsized influence on which books are published in the U.S. and how much authors are paid. The Cleveland baseball team is taking down the Indian sign from Progressive Stadium as it transitions to its new name, the Cleveland Guardians. It made the change after years of complaints that the Indian's name is not culturally sensitive. And thank goodness the Butterball Turkey hotline is up and accepting calls. I have called them numerous times. Anxious Thanksgiving cooks can get advice on how to prepare the perfect or at least a better bird. This is the 40th year Butterball has run that hotline. Thank goodness. Scotty, back to you. I hope that supply chain is not having any problems this year. I hope not, too. <laughs> that would be a big problem. All right, Sue, thank you. Sue Herrera. All right, let's talk about some of the big analyst calls of the day. First, we have Home Depot and Lowe's reiterated outperform at Baird. Jason Snipe, you own both of these names. Yeah, Scott, I like them both. Obviously, you know, I, I, I don't try and overcomplicate the housing market. I mean, there's just demand is still surpassed. Uh, demand surpasses supply here. So, you know, I like Lowe's. Lowe's is a great opportunity. I think there's some margin growth and business analytics work that they've done. You know, but I like both names here. I think there's an opportunity here into the end of the quarter and into early next year. Farmer Jim, Depot's not that far from a high in, it, in its own right. Uh, 375.15 is the 52-week high. 367.88 is where it currently trades. 
another warhorse. And you know what? You've got that opportunity in early January. This is this is important. In early January, the market sold them off, or maybe it was early February, after a pretty good earnings report. That's when I got in. And again, to what I was saying earlier, that the market does not always get price right. That's what I'm trying to do with those names I'm picking up today. The market gets it wrong sometimes on earnings. You've got to pounce when that happens. This is one I intend to hold for a long time. Hey, Scott, you asked me last week why this and not Lowe's. I got to tell you, I look at them as having the same motive forces. I like Home Depot because it's bigger. And when I see two things that look almost identical, I always go with the bigger company. Okay, so let's talk about companies that obviously do a lot of the same stuff, similar businesses, Exxon and Chevron, Stephanie Link, because Exxon gets cut to a sell. The target gets lowered to 50 bucks at Truist. You own Chevron. Why have you chosen to own Chevron over Exxon like Jim has chosen Home Depot over Lowe's? Well, I think they have stronger fundamentals and much better execution. Now it's lagged Exxon year to date by 23%. So I think there's an opportunity. They've done a great job in terms of asset sales and M&A. Their free cash flow yield on 2022 numbers, 10%. They could double the dividend next year alone. Not saying that Exxon can't. But I think at the discount it's trading at to, uh, to Exxon, I think Chevron is the better own here. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to trade some of the day's biggest earnings movers, including one stock that Josh Brown told you to buy, I think, more than a year ago. That stock hit a new high today. We'll talk about it next. The United Nations estimates it will cost $3 trillion of investment each year through 2050 to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. To meet those financial demands, companies like Micron, Walmart, and Equinix have recently issued green bonds to raise money. They yield in the range of 1.99% to 3.2%. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. Watch shares of Zillow. They're sinking again today. As you can see, they're now down nearly 20% in just the past two sessions. So the company plans to sell about 7,000 of its homes for roughly $2.8 billion. That's according to a new report from Bloomberg. Now, that report coming just a week or so after Zillow said it would stop, halt, making new offers to buy any homes. Analysts at KeyBank saying late last week that their analysis found 600, around 66% rather of Zillow's current inventory is listed below its purchase price. The two-day drop, by the way, has Zillow tracking for its worst week since March of 2020. If this decline continues, and of course, Scott, all of this ahead of its big earnings report coming up after today's closing bell. Back over to you. Yeah, I think the, the CEO's coming on, too, uh, after that, uh, which is going to be a very important interview. 
given the fact of what the stock is doing right now. Dom Chu, thank you very much. Josh Brown, I know somebody who's pretty happy that they no longer own this name, even if they had to get out at a bit of a loss. Yeah, I got this one wrong. And look, I, I don't think that people should be screaming at the CEO. Sometimes you try things and they don't go well. They're not good at this, it turns out. So they gave it a shot. The realtors all laughed at them. They said, Zillow doesn't understand. Real estate is not a software business. It's a local business. These people have no idea what they're doing. Uh, a lot of people said, no, of course they know what they're doing. Look how big the stock, stock's uh, market cap is. But the realtors in the local markets watching these people buy real estate with a blindfold on turned out to have been right. And the people who bought into the story like myself were wrong. So I took a small loss a couple weeks ago. I don't look back. It's all good. I'm not looking to buy back into it. I think it's going to be a while before Zillow has a new story to tell investors. Uh, this one went horribly wrong. We flashed up the promo uh, while Josh was talking. Again, it's an exclusive interview. It's 4 o'clock today, and it's Rich Barton, the Zillow CEO. You don't want to miss that uh, interview. All right, so you get some right, you get some wrong. Um, one you got incredibly right Everybody. on this program is Simon Property Group, which you first bought and recommended a little more than a year ago. And that stock hit a new high today. Uh, we can we pull up the chart as you talk about it. Uh, but after earnings, that stock 159.97, we'll call it 160 was the high uh, today. And it's just barely off that. But six percent nonetheless, Josh. So there's something about the stock market that may, that that makes it asymmetric uh, in terms of like risk and reward to 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 the to the reward um, and where that asymmetric uh, uh uh, return comes from is that as an investor, when you know you're getting a stock right, meaning you buy it for a reason, and then the reason that you thought was true continues to um, be evidentiary in everything the company announces and everything else that happens, you can continue to buy. And when you get when you get a stock wrong and you find out immediately, you can get out very quickly. So like Simon and Zillow are two sides of that coin. And I think it's really interesting that they both came up at the same time. So Zillow, I found that I was wrong like within three weeks, right? I bought the stock for a reason. It didn't come true or it was going against the company. I walked away. Simon, I was validated almost immediately. Started buying it in the 60s. And what I thought I had right turned out to be the thing I had right, which is that this mass exodus to the suburbs during COVID was going to mean great things for A-class malls, the type of places that you're not just going to shop, but they are the day's activity with your family. And all the restaurants and movie theaters and other things that come alongside of the stores themselves. The other thing with Simon, they are very good operators of retailers. They've got a joint venture by which they buy companies like JCPenney and Brooks Brothers, put in new people to operate them, and David Simon went out of his way uh, to point out that a lot of the earnings growth and this huge shocking upside came from how well the retailers that they're turning around are doing within the malls. So there's a lot here to like. Blew out guidance, blew out AFFO, adjusted funds from operation. Dividend went up again. That's twice in a row. Very big dividend increase. And I'm going to stick with this thing. And what's instructive about it for me is that I added to it on the way up. The company continued to tell me, no, 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 you were right originally, you're not big enough. So that's like two different ways to think about companies that are winning and losing. You have that option to keep betting where you're right 
and to cut your losses quickly where you find out you're wrong. All right. I love it. I love it. A little trade school as well. All right. Coming up. It's the big breakout that many on Wall Street have been waiting for, and it looks like it's underway right now. We talked about it at the very top of our show. We're going to debate it, talk to a top technician about it. Do it next. We mentioned it at the top of the program, the Russell 2000 hitting a new record high today. And our next guest is calling for an even bigger breakout in small caps. Baycrest Jonathan Krinsky joins us now. What tells you there's more room to run here? Hey, Scott. So there's really three main reasons here. Um, the first is, is what you mentioned, and perhaps uh, what's most obvious is, is simply we've had eight months of consolidation. Uh, we're just starting to break out on the top side of that consolidation on, on the Russell 2000. We've already seen uh, other metrics of small caps break out. You know, the Russell 2 is the most popular one, but there's Vanguard, um, that's already broken out. And then you've had internal breadth. You had about a third of the Russell 2000 yesterday hitting a, uh, a one-month high. So internally, it's, it's kind of confirming that. Um, the second reason is seasonality. And you know I think that's also a, a topic that's pretty widely discussed. But I think it's important to recognize seasonality shouldn't be used in a vacuum. And, and a lot of the reasons, a lot of times it does work is because of the prior periods. And, and what I mean by that, um, over the last 10 years, Russell 2000 has been up um, nine of the last 10 years in November for an average of 3%. It's by far the best month over that period. And the reason that typically works is because September and October tend to be a little bit choppy. That sets up the rally. So we have a similar situation this year. It'd be much less uh, likely to occur if we'd seen a massive rally in September, October, which, which we didn't get. And then the final piece, and this is the one that I think uh, you know most people don't look at, you have to look at the makeup of the Russell 2000. And I think a lot of people uh, maybe miss this, but healthcare is actually the largest weighting in the Russell 2. Much of that is biotech. Healthcare is about 18%. Biotech is still down about 25% from its highs on, on an equal weight basis. And we're just starting to see that XBI break out from, from this pretty significant base. Uh, we also have very bullish seasonality for biotech. It's been up um, the last nine years in a row in November. Again, similar reasons to what we just mentioned in small caps. And it's the average gain for XBI in November over the last nine years is about 7%. So you put all that together, it's a, it's a breakout that I think is a little, you know, maybe too obvious, but we don't overthink it. Um, internals and seasonality suggest it's, it's heading higher. I appreciate you coming on quickly and telling us about it. I'm going to kick it around with the gang. Jonathan Krinsky, as always, thank you very much. Steph, you've been waiting for this move. I mean, you've been there all year in terms of small caps, and now you're getting paid. I mean, I think small caps value and cyclicals all trade on the same factor, and that is better economic growth. And I, I know we were disappointed with the third quarter GDP number of 2%. But I think since Delta has peaked and we have boosters and we've got kids that now can get vaccinated, 4Q should actually be better. We still have the supply constraints to deal with. Hopefully over time that starts to ease. I don't expect it until second half of 2022, maybe even into 23, but it incrementally should get a little bit better. So I think you're going to have above trend growth in 4Q and above trend growth in the first half of 2022. And that should favor economically sensitive companies. And as I said, small caps kind of trade in line with value and cyclicals as well. All right. The small cap uh, is making big gains today. One is especially to the top of the list. Avis shares are soaring, not as much as they were earlier, and you won't believe how much they were up. We'll talk about that next right here on The Half.
Uh, it's one of the stock stories of the day, no doubt. Avis is soaring. Phil LeBeau joins us now. Phil, I don't know what you make of this. The, the stock is 200 bucks off of its highest levels of the day. So it got up to 545. It's at 357. Yes. Um, high mm-hmm. volume. It was up. I don't know. The last I saw was like 185 percent. Now it's a, just a double, just up a little more than 100 percent. What's just up? Just a double. Well, look, let, let's be clear here that they posted a blowout third quarter, much better than anybody was expecting. Look at the numbers. I mean, their their profit was 42 percent above the consensus. They earned more than a billion dollars last quarter. Most were expecting to come in at $741 million. Record high pricing, $83 a day here in the U.S., up 39% compared to the same time in 2019. Their fleet size is increasing. I love this chart, Scott. Check out this chart. We're going to go back to the pre-pandemic low, or basically the pandemic low. This stock was trading at $9 a share back in March of 2020. That's when everybody said, oh, nobody's ever going to rent a vehicle again. There's never going to be business travel again. There's never going to be people traveling and using rental cars. Yeah, not really the case. Morgan Stanley raising its uh, revenue estimates and its earnings estimates for 21, 22, and 23. Uh, Look, the bottom line here is that people are piling into this. The trading volume, eight and a half times the 30-day average trading volume. Remember, Scott, there was a heavy short interest here. And I think that's what we saw, a lot of the shorts getting flushed out. Uh, when this stock was up trading up close to $500 a share. Let me quickly ask you, I mean, and frankly, I'm not sure what we're supposed to make of this Tesla Hertz thing. I just don't understand what the problem is here. Hertz says we're we're already taking deliveries and Musk goes out of his way to say publicly that we don't even have a signed contract, I I think is exactly what what he said. I don't understand why are we having this conversation? Either is or it isn't. Well, look, there is clearly a deal. I mean, Hertz came out today and said, we're taking deliveries here. Is there technically a signed contract? In some fashion, there's an agreement here. There's no indication that Hertz will not be taking delivery of 100,000 vehicles. The issue is, Scott, in the eyes of some Tesla shareholders, whether or not Tesla sold the Model 3s, the 100,000 Model 3s, or will be selling them at a discount which is very common when automakers are selling to a rental car company. They don't, they don't pay top dollar for those, and they often that, that's why they kill margins. So I think Elon Musk is trying to reassure people that they are not selling Model 3s at a discount here. Yeah, he could just say that. All right, Phil. <laughs> I appreciate sure. it. Phil LeBeau, thank you, you as bet. always. All right, we'll do Final Trades next. All right, Jason Snipe, you start us off today with final trades. I like Twilio here. They got crushed on earnings last week. Uh, this is due to their guidance, but I really see some long-term growth here for Twilio. All right, that's not big, big pullback on that. All right, Farmer Jim. Marathon Petroleum, here's the market again giving an opportunity. Josh Brown. Coinbase looks like it wants to break out of its IPO day highs. Mm-hmm. All right, Steph. Diamondback Energy, great quarter, higher production, $4 billion in free cash flow next year. They raise the dividend for the third time right. this year. Good to see everybody. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.